I have given a lot of thought to what I wanted to talk about in my last couple of talks here in this role. You're not getting rid of us, by the way, uh, long term, but in our particular role. And, and I thought maybe one of the things that I should do is to tell you what's been very, very important to me for this past year. There are two verses that uh, over a year ago, I felt like the Lord wanted me to be reminded of, to focus my attention and my energy every day for a year. Uh, Ann and I didn't know a year ago that this would be the timing of our finishing our current roles, but we, ha we had a sense, we, we felt like we should stay uh, and be of service uh, during and through the pandemic. Through is not the right word. Who knows where we are, but we're at a different place than we were two and a half years ago. Uh, but we had a sense that, that there would be a time soon that we would be moving on from this role. And I felt like the Lord gave me a couple of verses. And right at the top of my devotional template, these two verses are there. So I read them first thing every day. I thought to myself, if that's that important to me, maybe it would be helpful for you. Sound good? Not really. I can do some other stuff that's not so important to me, but let's do that one. Yeah. And so this is what has brought me focus. If you're a live streamer today, we're so thrilled that you're here. I want you to listen in. And a little bit later, there's going to be some slides that come up. You might want to capture with a picture if you want to have your phone handy, unless you're using your phone for this, and then you've got another problem. But you can figure that out. Here are the two passages that I've read every day. Here they are. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Let's leave the slide up. I, uh, I wanted to summarize that into kind of a memorable quip. And so I thought, well, that really sounds like being faithful. That sounds like uh, staying in there. But those kind of sounded dusty and not that catchy for me. I don't know about you, but just for me. And so I thought, I prefer stick to it. And then I reduced it farther for my, my mantra for this past year. Are you ready? Be sticky. Be sticky. And trust me, there's been a time or two or more in the past year that I've said, Jared, be sticky. Because just like you in the past year, there have been times that I have not wanted to stick to everything that I was committed to stick to. Be sticky. At the end of Paul's life, the last letter that we have at least recorded that he wrote, he said this to Timothy. He said, I have done my three verbs really well. I have fought, I have finished, and I, I have kept. And then the second passage I read was this. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. This last week, uh, Ann and I, Ilse and Carlos, we were in Orlando with about 3,000 other pastors. We were at an annual Foursquare convention, and, and we got to hear some stories of some people. Most of what was fun, of course, was for us to reconnect with folks. One of the brief little interviews was by a man named uh, George Klein. We've known George Klein for several decades. He pastored a wonderful church in Colorado for most of his life. He retired from that role, but he wanted to continue to be of service. And so he decided to raise money so he could volunteer to oversee the coaches for all of the four square missionaries that are in 150 uh, plus countries around the world. At 80 years of age, that's still his role. But he also wanted to be, make a contribution to his local city. And so he uh, contracted with uh, one of the, the second largest media uh, uh, radio station, uh, a regular station, some people would call it a secular station, to do a regular weekly program where he is called Reverend George. 
And the Rev does this thing, making a difference in his own community. And as I looked at George, who at 80 years of age is many, many years ahead of Ann and Jared in life. I mean, so many years. The way he is a leader in our life, he's a role model in our life. And as I heard his story, I remembered back the decades that I've known him. And I thought to myself, I like the way George has ended at age 80. I like that. Now, I also want to give you a secret. I don't want to do what he's doing at 80. I have no plans to do either of those things that he's doing at age 80. But I do aspire to have the vitality, if God blesses me with physical, mental, social, emotional health that he has and longevity, I hope to be as vital as he is at age 80. I learned from him. I considered how his way of life got him. And now I want to imitate some of the things he did to get there. You know that I like verbs. Ann and I are people of action, so I go to the verbs first. And when I read these two passages every day, there's three verbs for Jared. The Jared verbs are fight, finish, and keep. And this morning, the verbs for you are remember, consider, and imitate their way of life. Now, I also want you to know as I launch today that this is awkward for me. My first sermon that I preached on a Sunday morning in a church building was at age 18. I've done this a few times. But I feel a little nervous today. feel a little awkward. This is what Jared looks like, nervous and awkward. You've said you look like usual. Well, maybe I'm usually nervous and awkward. I don't know. But, but I'll tell you what's awkward about it. Just like Paul at the end of his life, not the end of my life, but the end of role, Use the word I three times, I, I, I. Today I'm going to talk about me, and that's awkward for me. I don't think that my life is all that interesting, and I'm not sure that my life is that helpful for you. We open up the Bible, we read the Word of God, that's where we go. Today about half of this talk is about Jared. So I just want you to know I'm awkward, and having said that, I'm blaming it. I'm shifting blame to the 8 o'clock crowd. They said I should do exactly the same thing to you that I did to them. I don't know if that was well-intended or good-hearted or revenge. I don't know. I don't know. But whatever it is, I'm going to be sharing with you today about my way of life. In the process of doing that, I want to share um, a couple of lists. And one of them is a list of seven maxims that have been just uh, pithy quotes, sayings in life that are packed with a lot of wisdom that have helped give me some focus and direction. And as I share those maxims, one through seven, through this talk, they'll come up on the screen. You may find one or two on reflection that were helpful for you. And I want you to know that at the end of the talk, all seven are going to come up at the screen at one time. If you want to capture a picture of it then, you'll have all seven together. By the way, there's a couple of other pieces of the message that some people have said, I'd like to have a copy of that. Just reach out in any of the media ways that you can contact us at Evergreen or me directly. Be happy to send you a copy of my notes with a template in it today as well. So having said that Jared is awkward, let's jump in with maxim number one. Are you ready? Well, the rest of you are going to have to see it too. Live with a bias toward action. <laughs> I'm chuckling. Some of you are as well. Uh, this is Jared and Ann, isn't it? Live with a bias toward action. I love verbs. I say, what is the action taking place? And then I ask the question about the subject. And who is taking or who is supposed to take the action? And this helps me in my faith. If there is an action and God is the subject, I relax and leave that up to him. If there is an action and I am the subject, I don't relax, I go into action. It's my responsibility. 
And if there is an action that's your responsibility that's not mine, if you're the subject, then I encourage you to do that. I have a bias toward action. Ann and I, at some point in our life, decided that sitting around, choosing between options A, B, and C, if all of them are pretty good or good enough, and agonizing over which one is incrementally the best, is not a good way for us to live. We tend to jump into action. If the options are good enough, let's grab one and let's do it as well as we can. You don't have to do this. This is just Jared, it's how we're wired. We have a bias toward action. And so I look at the actions, fight, finish, and keep. So this year I've been very attentive about what it looks for me to fight all year long. What it looks like for me to finish my course all year long and what it looks like for me in an environment of deconstructing faith to keep the true faith all year long. Well, you might ask the question, so Jared, how have you intentionally fought, finished, and kept? And I thank you for asking that question. I appreciate that because I thought about, you anticipated that, and I have an answer that I'd like to give for you today. In fact, I made a plan. I call it a way of life. The phrase in Hebrews, consider the outcome of their way of life. And I want to share that with you today. But first, maxim number two. Here we go. Design your own life or others will. <laughs> now, Anne and I have been up hanging around some uh, friends who have retired. Uh, suddenly, your life stage became very interesting to me. And uh, we've been asking questions and doing some interviews on uh, what, what have you learned and moving to retirement. And, and what a whole lot of people have said is, oh, pfft, I, I don't think I've retired. I'm busier now than I have ever, what do they say? Ever, ever been. That's right. You've heard that, haven't you? And those of you that are working full time, especially if you have children at home, you're going, you lie. You, you so lie about that. But just granted, it's been a while. It's been a while since they, but here's the deal. When you retire, I've never been busier than I am. So Ann and I, we believed you, and we thought about it, and we said, if we're going to be busier than we've ever been, we're certainly not going to give you an open calendar and say, fill it with whatever crap you want to put in there. That's what we decided. Did I say that? In other words, we now have a whole new season of life that we've never encountered, where if we wanted, we could have an open calendar and we are going to figure out how we're going to get to fight and finish and keep with the allocation of time in that. We have discovered that other people are very willing to fill our life with their will for us, which may or may not be God's will for us and may or may not be our will for us. We will take the responsibility to design our own life. I know that sounds harsh, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, if you're going to design something, if you are an architect, that's going to build a beautiful home for a family to live in. If you're going to architect your life, build a beautiful life that you'd actually like to live in with sustainable health over a period of time, you probably want to have some objectives. If you're going to build a custom home, we've never done that, don't plan to do it, but I've heard people who did. You go to an architect and the architect interviews you for a long time in asking, what is it that you want? If you're going to architect your life, give careful thought over time to what is it the kind of life structure that I'd like to actually grow and thrive in. I called it life architecture. So I wanted to give you five objectives that 
I've chosen in architecting my life, and here they are. I think the list is coming up. First of all, number one is to nurture important relationships. That's the who question. Who am I going to allocate life to? Number two, do excellent work. That's the how I want to accomplish things I'm committed to. Number three, this will sound odd to some of you, but don't act harried. Now, I have a bias towards stating things in the positive, but it just doesn't sound as good to me, positive. Here's how it would say positive. Be a non-anxious presence. Sometimes, though, there's staff or a team that we've worked with over time, and we're sharing some of the more intimate uh, values that we have, uh, we would say to them, you will from time to time see me hurry. I do have things going on, and sometimes I need to hurry to get from here to there. You'll see me hurry, but I hope you never see me harried. A harried presence evokes anxiety, which is the opposite of peace. And in the presence of the Lord, there's always peace. So I want to come into a room, and I want to evoke peace. And I can't do that if I'm a harried presence. So I want to design my life in a way that minimizes crises so that I can hurry. I don't mind being busy without Harry. How about number four, honor margins. Ann and I in our 13 years have pretty much honored a Sabbath principle of a day. We've also honored home at uh, being at home in the evenings. So our deal was three nights out from home a week is the max. We will be home. We will have margins of four evenings and a week at home. Council meetings happen, team meetings happen, other meetings happen. We will be home with margins for evenings a, night, uh, a week. And finally, to keep, keep all commitments. If I'm going to say yes, I'm going to find a way to do it. Now let me ask you, how does that list look to you? You probably like two or three, three of them. So here's your homework assignment number one. Ready? Find out on the list what doesn't really resonate for you. And then give thought to what value or objective does resonate with you that you would replace it with so that you can move forward with a sense of a North Star, maybe defined in five principles as I have. Well, maximum number three. I promise seven. We better get going. Number three, here it is. Be radically proactive about any behavior that pays off in 10 years. (laughs) So if I'm going to be active today... I'd love for some of those actions to have a return on investment 10 years from now. Now, later, again, I'm looking for the verbs. Later, I'm going to show you a model that I've used that has seven life domains. Uh, so, So I'm not giving you a list at this point. I'm just mentioning some of those to you. But what came to mind for me on reflection of what really matters in 10 years, let's assume that I'm still alive and vibrant in 10 years. That's the assumption. Uh, Given that, What are the things that would be particularly important for me to be vibrant 10 years from now? And these are the ones I came up with. You don't have to jot them down. You'll you'll find them later. But first of all is spiritual growth. Does that make sense? Probably attending to my spiritual growth makes a difference 10 years from now. How about my marriage and my family? Anne has stuck with me for 44 years. I'd really like to make that 54. It'd be really late for us to start over again. I want to attend to marriage and family. How about being of service? If you're a student, that's uh, uh, being in school. For all of us, it's a volunteer roles that we have. For some of you that are employed, it's your job. Uh, it is how we present ourselves in service to others. Four is physical health. 
That's going to make a difference in 10 years, isn't it? How I eat and move and sleep. And how about my mental and emotional health? Those are areas of my being that my family of origin did not intentionally give priority to and to nurture. And so I'm playing a little bit of catch up as I want to, it's going to make a difference in 10 years, isn't it? If I'm emotionally and mentally healthy or not. And how about social connections? In terms of longevity, the one factor more associated with living long and well than any other is our friendships and financially well-being. How I attend to finances today is certainly going to have an impact in 10 years. So that's how I've thought about the major domains of my life. And when I put that together, the guiding uh, objectives and the life domains, I came up with something that I call the good life. Now, good is a word that can be kind of uh, milk toast and wimpy. That's nah, good. They're not great. It's good. In fact, a few years ago, I was uh, sharing with a group about the good life, and a guy came up very serious, and he said, he said, I don't want a good life. I want a great life. And I said to him, good, great, go have one. That's just fine. But here's why good is the powerful word for me. When Peter, in a sermon recorded for us in Acts chapter 10, is summarizing the entire public ministry life of Jesus of three years, he summarizes it this way. You know Jesus of Nazareth who went around doing, say it with me, good. And healing everyone who was oppressed by the devil. If Jesus' life can be summarized as good, if part of the fruit of the Spirit can be called goodness, I'll go for a good life. So that's what I call it. But before I give you the metrics and we wrap up with taking a look at, uh, at that model, I want to talk about these three verbs for a couple of minutes. Paul's verbs. What does it look like to fight? I had an amazing revelation this week about that. It dawned on me that when I talk to people about battles that they have or I have, we are almost always talking about something that is unusual, unanticipated often, and has a limited period of time. I'm on the other side of that battle, right? I've always thought about it that way. But when Paul writes about the fight, he is talking about a continuous way of living. Paul's fighting all the time. And so I read something that was very interesting this week. Let me, let me just read this quote. It says, the most important battles must be fought anew every day. The most important battles must be fought anew every day. I thought about that and I thought, that's the proactive way to fight. It's not the reactive response to when life comes to us and we have to fight it off. It's the proactive way of living. I thought, what does that look like? And I thought, well, it is true, isn't it? Exercising today doesn't mean that tomorrow's workout is unnecessary. Supporting your spouse today doesn't mean that you can toss it in tomorrow. Following Jesus today doesn't mean that you can skip following Jesus tomorrow. Gathering here together on a weekend this week doesn't mean that we can decide to just skip it for the next couple of months. The important battles of life are the ones that are sustainable 
day after day, continuing to engage the powerful things. Learn to love the endless nature of things, and life gets easier. Anne and I have uh, just about run out of stories. We've told you just about everything. It's just, you know, you're, you're bored, I know, you no more. But I actually have a couple of little tidbits today that none of you have ever heard, so are you ready for this? So what does it look like for the Roths to fight? One of the things that dawned on us at some point was, rather than passively waiting for the fight to come to us and then hoping that we had the energy, the tools, and the ability to win, that it would be smart to go into training. In fact, there's a whole bunch of Bible that really reinforces this training in godliness. And so we've done some things to train. And the hope is, like Paul, that if you train, when life throws its worst at you, you are prepared and equipped to be able to engage and with the help of Jesus and the Spirit, uh, win that battle. So some of the training things that we've done. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, we haven't talked much about fasting, but over our life, uh, Ann and I fasted a bunch. Um, we fasted for a meal more than once. We fasted for days. We fasted for a week. We fasted for 21 days. We fasted for 40 days. We've done all of those <clears throat> multiple times. What does fasting do? Among other things, it says to your body and other physical, real sensations and needs, at the end of the day, you're not the most important thing in my life. It can prepare you. Now, I want you to know that all of you are aware that I took cold showers last year. Anybody not aware of that here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of you know. You're implicated because you didn't raise your hand. And none of you chose to follow my example of taking five-minute freezing cold showers all year last year. None of you followed my example in that. This is true. You said all kinds of things about my doing that, but none of you said, I followed your lead in that. Doing hard things, yeah. How about marathons that we've run, high-intensity interval training that we do? Uh, Ann and I both dropped out of college because Jesus was coming back soon. We got married. We planted a church. Uh, later in life, Jesus hadn't come back yet. We've as lifelong learners continued our education, both formally and informally, that included degrees for both of us, included a doctorate. In other words, we have done hard things. Those are all a part of the fight that we're engaged in. It's showing up every day to do principal difficult things to prepare us so that when life throws its worst at us, we are ready. Paul fought a good fight. And then he finished. He finished. You know, for example, uh, Ilsean just did a beautiful job sharing this verse with us last week, but let me remind you. It says, let us consider how to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Isn't that, that a great thing? Isn't that what we want to do? That's what we're doing today. For those of you that are here in the room, on the way in, you greeted people. On the way out, you're going to greet people. If you have kids, you're going to thank the people that were serving them. Some of you are here for your second service because you've already served. Uh, out in the lobby, we're going to greet. It's a, it's a beautiful opportunity for us to encourage one another and to love each other. And it happens because we are, how? We are together. And so Paul wants to identify that some things have happened for some folks that interrupted their habit of togetherness. And he said, I don't want you to stop meeting together as the new habit of some is, 
but I want you to encourage one another. So he didn't say, I want you to participate in church gathering so you can check it off your list and be a better Christian. He said, I want you to think about how you're going to position yourself so that you'll be in an environment where you're going to be expressing love to people, helping them, and encouraging them. And for those of you that are online, this is not at all an appeal for you to come in person. By the way, if you are able to come in person on the 26th, we want you to come. And two weeks later in the installation, we want you to come physically. But this is not saying uh, if you're online that there's something deficient. What I am recognizing if you're online is that the challenge for you is much greater than it is for us to be in the room. Because for you to figure out how you're going to gather with other people in ways that makes your encouraging them on in love and good deeds and in blessing them in life without this convenient context of all being together is the challenge that you have. And you're rising to the challenge. You're figuring out how you're going to gather together in ways that make that happen. Which leads us to maxim number, are you ready for this? Number five. The trajectory of your life bends in the direction of your habits. The trajectory of your life bends in the direction of your habits. Do you want to know what the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is? It is the return on investment of your habits today. The trajectory of your life bends in the direction of your habits. So Paul says to these people, I want you to be thoughtful about your habits. You used to have a habit of gathering together. Awesome. There was some kind of an interruption any of us familiar with some kind of an interruption in life? New habits were established, which were out of sync with the old habits. And now Paul is saying to them and would say to us, so be very thoughtful about the new habits that you're creating now because you want to create new habits that advance you toward the same goals and values that you had before, which is to be in a situation where you can naturally encourage one another. He says, I want you to have a habit of gathering so that you can have a habit of regularly encouraging each other. I promised, I promised seven maxims and we're already at number six. Here we are. Say yes to the things that matter most and no to the things that don't. <laughs> We've heard the quip, haven't we? If everything's important, then nothing is important. Yeah. Isn't it hard to make priorities? It's so hard to prioritize because most of what we prioritize is good stuff. And you have to reach into the pile of good stuff and say, I'm going to choose to make this stuff more important than that other good stuff. That's hard work, isn't it? If you don't do the hard work, then you will be passive in life and whatever other people think is good stuff is what will come into your life and calendar. Say yes to the things that matter the most. Paul said yes to keeping the faith. Now, he fought, he finished, and he kept, and he specifically kept the faith. Now, think about it, 2,000 years ago, Paul didn't get to read the New Testament, right? <laughs> he hadn't written it yet, and the other guys hadn't written it yet. So he's actually trying to make sense of a faith that is emerging, it is constructing, this faith of following Jesus, this Jewish rabbi who died and was resurrected and had a new and living way, and Paul and others are trying to figure out what it looks like to have a way of life that follows Christ without all of the revelation that we have of Scripture. And so 
He was always finding detractors for people saying, no, that's not the way to do it. That's not how to be a Christ follower. Paul said, I have kept the faith, the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I have kept that across the course of my life. I think the context that you and I live in today is very different from Paul. In fact, it's the reverse of Paul's experience, but it is equally difficult to keep the faith. He was in an environment where the faith of following Jesus was being constructed. 2,000 years later, we're living in a context where faith in Jesus is being deconstructed. And you know what I think about deconstruction. If it's deconstructing religion, go for it, bring me along, and I'll help you with it. Over time, there are so many barnacles and old patterns and stuff that have accumulated around following Jesus and have been sanctified in ways that actually can become barriers or distractions from following him with pure and simple faith, I say, tear down those walls and break those traditions. Absolutely, deconstruct religion while you, say it with me, keep the faith. We don't deconstruct faith. We deconstruct human-made forms around it that are no longer useful to us. I love what Brian McLaren wrote just very recently, a new book just out this year. I don't have to choose between staying Christian compliantly or leaving Christianity defiantly. No, I can intentionally, consciously, resolutely refuse to leave and with equal intention and resolution, I can refuse to comply with the status quo. I can occupy Christianity with a different way of being Christian. I can no longer put my naive trust in the structures of Christian religion, seeing and knowing what I see and know now. But instead of rejecting my faith and community, I remain present to it, neither minimizing its faults or hating it for its faults. That's keeping the faith. I fought I've finished, I've kept. Well, that leads us to the good life. And this is, uh, this is the third and last part of uh, my chat today. So as I thought about how do I take my five guiding objectives, my seven major domains of life, put those together in some kind of a formation that I call a way of life, what would that look like? And... What I'm going to show you in a moment is uh, what that is. First of all, I want to give you the last maxim that's coming up now, and then we'll talk about the good life. And here it is. If you care about the goal, you'll focus on the system. And so I'm about to answer the question, Jared, what is your system? And I want to acknowledge that my system is my system. It's very much out of my temperament. It's out of my personality. It's out of my uh, wiring, it's out of my learning, it's out of my preference. Some of you, in a few minutes, when you get done seeing Jared's way of life, you're gonna feel exhausted because you're gonna go, that would be horrible for me. Uh, anticipate that sense of exhaustion as you're not wired the same way I am. But my challenge to you from start to finish today is this, if you don't like my way of life, what is your way of life that is going to get you there as well as mine has at this point. The good life. 
I call it good. I call it, and here's the, the, uh, the areas of life, good God, good family, good friends, good faith community, good service, good growth, good stewardship. The screen that's coming up is the one page that I look at every day. Uh, I'm going to give individual screens in about two minutes each with each of the seven elements. So if it's difficult for you to see now or online, know that the, the screen is going to be a, a little bit larger as it comes up in pieces. But I wanted to give you the model. I call it my life on a page. It's a part of my devotional life. I look at it every day. I read through it every day to remind myself of my way of life. And so let's jump into the first one of the good life, which is good God. The value is spirit first. I really believe that. And the things that I want to do uh, to tend to that relationship are daily devotions and weekly listening. That happens to be on Saturday morning for me, an extra 15 minutes or so. And then you'll notice over on the right-hand side that there is a column for all seven life domains that says action. You'll also notice that those are all blank. Did you notice that? That's because it's none of your stinking business what my actions are. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you would be very curious about them, but some of them are just too personal for me. And, uh, and I, I'm not quite willing to be that vulnerable with you. And uh, maybe a couple of them are, are not your business anyway. But also, uh, I want for you to be thoughtful. And if you do choose to use a model like this, for you to be thoughtful about your actions. Now, over the years, and frankly, uh, I've been doing this since I was, uh, for, for a while, um, when, the, when the book first came out uh, decades ago called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, I remember the chair I was sitting in when I read that book. It was that profound for me. And one of the ideas that he introduced for me, which is revolutionary, was to define your life around major roles, R-O-L-E-S, instead of goals, G-O-A-L-S. And when I thought about my life in terms of major roles, it was transformational, which is what I've done here. The seven life domains are, are roles that I have. And as I think, thought about that, this, this model has worked for me. I freshen it uh, throughout the year, but I certainly refreshen it every year. It's where I go to for my new goals for the next year. Things fall off, new things come on. Anne does not want for me to treat her the same way uh, last, uh, this year that I treated her last year. Everybody in my life deserved to have some fresh things, and I deserve that as well. I want to keep it fresh, but this design has worked well for me. Part of my daily devotions is to read this page, so I'm reminded freshly of how I'm going to present myself uh, in God's world. The second one that's coming up is good family. I believe that the foundation of life is a family for me, and so I have listed a variety of relationships here. If you think that you're extended family of mine, <clears throat> then consider yourself a niece or a nephew right there. There you go, yeah. I actually list names for these. I list frequency. Uh, I list verbs. There are three verbs that I am focusing on acting daily toward Anne this year. So the frequency is daily. Uh, Jordan, sorry, buddy, you only get a frequency of weekly. But there are three verbs. And uh, I let my adult children know what the three verb verbs were. Wouldn't that be fair? I said, this is what I'm planning to do to you this year. How does it sound to you? And I got you know, a reasonable nod off on that sounded good enough. And so I'm sticking with those three verbs. I have weekly touch with grandchildren. Bonnie lives with us, siblings. Siblings is monthly. Nieces and nephews, all adult, twice a year. And then I have actions that I'm going to engage on behalf. Part of my weekly listening is to do a life audit. 
And so I look at my good life and I ask the question, was there something that I committed to doing this week that I didn't get done? Because much of life happens spontaneously, doesn't it? And isn't it true none of us want to be a project? And most of us don't want to be an appointment on someone's calendar. So much of this happens naturally and spontaneously in life. But if it didn't happen spontaneously, and it's a weekly commitment that I've made to myself on another's behalf, I just make a little appointment with myself in the week following to make sure that it happens. Let's look at the third uh, life domain. It's good friends. I want to have friendships that are authentic, where we communicate, where those friendships are reciprocal and not one-sided. And I want to initiate new friendships toward the future. I want to nurture now friendships in the present. I want to bless some old friendships in the past. And the reason that's important for me, and I actually list the people's names in those categories, is because all of us are wired to prefer one of those three venues. Some of you are great at sustaining old relationships. You're okay at nurturing fresh, uh, current relationships, but you don't initiate new ones. And some of us are wired the opposite direction. We're all about initiating new friendships. I tell people all the time, I can't keep friends. I'm always looking for new ones. Who are you? Yeah, yeah. And decent at maintaining friendships, but we would never look past to maintain old friendships. And I'm one of those people. I'm a futurist. I have to reach back. I have seven guys on my old friends list that I maintain relationship with. One of them goes back to elementary school. They all, by the way, want to have the relationship maintained. It would be a little creepy if I was stalking them for decades. Yeah. It's reciprocal, but I am also aware that I'm probably the catalyst for some of those in those having the ability to move forward and be sustained. Who are your friends? The next one is good faith community. Uh, faith, hope, and love is the kind of environment that I want to live in. And what does my weekly worship look like? Does it look like, what does weekly worship look like in the next six months as Ann and I are not physically present here? Uh, we're doing other things for our worship and fellowship. We intend to see you on Christmas Eve. It's very likely, we certainly hope, that it works well for us to be a part of Evergreen moving forward. But we're having to think, what does weekly worship look like for us in this new season of time? You're having to ask the same question. If you're online at Evergreen, you're asking the same question. We're moving from chapter 31 into chapter 32. We're coming through, we hope, on the other end of this pandemic season. We're all developing new habits with new commitments. What does weekly worship and what does group look like? All of us are asking in a fresh way these kinds of questions as well. It moves me on to good service. This is where we do life or job or school or volunteer role. And I, I know that I am at my best when I'm serving out of my strengths and gifts. So on my good life, I actually list my five top strengths on my Strengths Finders 2.0. I read it every morning. And what I remember my, is this, Jared, if you're asked to do something that is contrary to those strengths, you better help them find someone else to do it. If you're doing something that you've made a commitment to, try to bring the best of how God wired you to this situation and make your highest contribution. I have a list of people that I feel like I am a mentor toward this year, and Sprout Digital for Ann and me, a whole new area. Some of you have heard about it. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago of research that we're doing globally in digital and metaverse churches uh, is an area that we are providing service to. Well, I mentioned there were seven. The sixth one is good growth. <clears throat> the commitment to be a lifelong learner. <clears throat> to always have fresh edge learning that I am doing. And at the beginning of the year, I often outline exactly what that is and where I'm going with that. 
Um, emotional and social health. If I don't give specific attention to it, it's not going to happen in my life. And so I push myself forward in specific ways that I am going to engage with counseling, with books, with practices on my own that allow more of God's healing grace in my life as a human. And then digital and metaverse, uh, you know, Anne and I are playing in this world that our grandchildren are the digital natives in. Uh, did you know that we're older than our grandchildren? And so this has been wild. I mean, buying stuff and games and equipment and being on uh, uh, apps and talking with people. We need to be conversant enough in the language to be able to conduct the research. And so we'll never be expert in any of the metaverse digital stuff and gaming community at all. But uh, learning for us uh, has been a, a steep learning curve. And we've engaged with mentors and are part of new organizations and listening to podcasts and part of different groups. And that is an intentional way to step forward and to press ourselves forward as lifelong learners. And the last one is good stewardship. And this is where I call it sustainable health. I want to be able to function in a way that sustains 360 health in my life as long as God gives me the grace and blessing to be a steward over these areas of health. And I describe body, time, and money as those health areas for good stewardship. That, my friends, is the good life for Jared. And that is the life on a page that I remind myself of and pray over each day to fight the good fight, to finish the race of life, and to keep the faith in an environment that would like to do some damage to it. I promised that at the end I would list the six, uh, the seven maxims. Uh, the slide is coming up with those. It looks like they're going to come up. They're all there. And uh, if you care to have a picture, this would be a probably a good time to do that. You've already heard them. Let me read them through. Live life with a bias toward action. Design your own life, or others will. Be radically proactive about any behavior that pays off in 10 years. Earn my reputation by trying to do hard things well. The trajectory of your life bends in the direction of your habits. Say yes to the things that matter most and no to the things that don't. And if you care about the goal, you'll focus on the system. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Well, actually, I'm still around. I hope for a long time. I'm fighting the good fight. I am running to finish the race. I am planning to keep the faith. And I encourage you, as Ann and I were challenged by George Klein this week, to whatever it helped it is for you to think about our 13 years or the portion of that that any of you have had exposure to, that you might remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life, and then if there are parts of that that you like, imitate their faith. The question for all of us today, it's coming up on a slide, does my way of life today help me thrive tomorrow? And if not, why? 
And if not, how can you change it so it will? Would you stand with me? That's kind of how I feel. If you weren't able to see that, I not only knocked it over, the cap came off and I spilled all over the carpet. So uh, I told you that I'd feel a little awkward with this. Are any of you feeling relieved that it's over with? Do any of you wish, other than the time that I would go on because seeing me awkward is really a delicious thing for you? Yeah. I've looked out today, and as I've been talking to you, I've been thinking about some of your stories, and so I've been living with you. And I think about some of the challenges that some of you have experienced. I think about some of the fight for your faith that I know has been a part of your story. I know about the work that some of you have done in extremely difficult life situations to move your way forward. Your, my story does not even come close. I don't light a candle to your floodlight. And today I want you to know that I have deep respect for you, how you bring yourself to life, the lessons that you've learned. I happen to be the one up today giving voice to this topic, but I want you to know that my story is very much your story and yours mine. We are all trying to figure out what it means to find and follow Jesus. And the way that he leads you by his spirit is just the right way for you. But I do want for you at the moments that you have in your life to talk like this to one or to a thousand that you could say with Paul, I have fought. It's been a great fight every day. I have finished. I've kept jogging every day. I've kept the faith. I've gotten rid of some stuff that I didn't need, refused to accept some stuff that wasn't helpful, but I'm following Jesus. Lord, toward that end, fill us with your spirit this week so we can follow you in Jesus' name. Would you say together with me? Amen. Amen.